the Buck Off Podcast. Welcome in, Buckeye Nation. Uh, this is your host, Christopher Rennie, bringing you another episode of Buck Off with Christopher Rennie. I'm here once again with Jordan Williams, and we're very excited to bring you another awesome episode of Buck Off, especially with the game that's coming up. Ohio State faces Oregon this weekend. We're recording on Wednesday for you guys on a Friday. So we're hoping to give you guys a lot of great content here. Uh, Jordan and I interviewed our SB Nation brethren on this and we're going to get into quite a few details going into saturday uh, and what you guys should expect from the Oregon ducks as always jordan how you doing man i'm doing well I, i'm i'm tired but i think i'm still on a high from the week uh i mean having games from what thursday to monday uh, and then nfl starts tomorrow so it's kind of like it's like my body's fighting me uh, from all the football and the lack of sleep that i'm getting but i'm i'm on a high man i'm ready for football um i'm ready for this game um and just a the rest is to see what happens with Ohio State. So I'm, I'm doing yeah, good. Yeah, no, I'm with you, dude. Honestly, I feel like the word I'd use is I feel overstimulated right now. There's football all the time. There's football yeah. coming up. There's football to talk about this past weekend. I'm still in arguments about different teams who didn't play as well as they thought. Because I think the one thing, and I want to bring this up just to kind of talk about last week a little bit to kind of lead into this week because we haven't got to talk about last week together yet. But on Thursday night, Ohio State got a lot of hate from a few fan bases, uh, mainly Oklahoma, Clemson, and Georgia. Uh, I came out of Saturday thinking, if you're not named Alabama, you got to keep your mouth shut and watch yourself before that. And I, I just think it's funny. When you play first, every, you're under a microscope. Once everyone else is put under a microscope, I saw a lot of these arguments go away. Yeah, no, I literally I said that same exact thing in my big thoughts column. I I, I worded it something like, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, CJ Stroud had to play first on Thursday and that led him to a lot of undue criticism. But then when you watch the rest of the country and the rest of the quarterbacks, you're like, man, uh, maybe I would take CJ Stroud. And I really think that fits all of the all of the um, all of Ohio State as a whole um, of the teams that you mentioned, which ones played a better game. Ohio State didn't. I mean, Clemson didn't. Uh, OU didn't. Uh, you could argue maybe Georgia did because they won. But I left watching that Georgia game uh, thinking, yeah, their defense legit, but they're not going to beat Ohio State because they don't have offense. Um, so I think really as a whole, no one should have left this weekend feeling good about themselves Unless they were Alabama, I think every team kind of had a rough showing at points. But I left pretty confident about where Ohio State sits nationally behind Alabama and everyone's behind. Yeah, Alabama. no, I felt like this past weekend, you know, I this was an argument I got in literally on Thursday night. This LSU fans like, well, Ohio State looked like they were terrible. And I said, well, LSU is probably going to be a 500 team. So I'm not really going to sit here and chat with you. They go and lose to UCLA. So week one's always crazy. Week one had a few upsets. They had a few different uh, games. We had some blowouts that we didn't expect. You know, me and you were kind of on UCLA beating LSU. We were not really on Virginia Tech UNC. I told you it was going to be an interesting football game, but I didn't know Virginia Tech was actually going to pull it off. But week one's in the books. We know a lot more about these teams than we did a week ago, and I think that's why overreactions come with the territory. So I guess before we get into this week, because I don't want to spend too much time. We spent a lot of time talking about last week. What's your biggest overreaction from week one? 
my biggest positive. I just want your biggest overreaction. My okay, okay. My biggest overreaction. Um, my biggest overreaction is that uh, C.J. Stroud is the second best quarterback in the nation. Um, I know that's kind of unfounded, but I watched, and I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit more with the defense, but when you watch football, sometimes it has to come with a little bit of nuance. Um, Bryce Young looked really, really good. Like not, not even along the lines of how people tried to discredit Mac Jones, where it was like, he's playing with a stupid amount of talent. Um, Bryce Young made that team look better because they don't have proven talent. We know they have recruiting talent, but they don't have proving talent. So I'm fine, you know, with all the Bryce love, uh, Bryce love, love, but CJ Stroud showed me a lot of things. It was some jitters and maybe we don't see it until next year, whatever. But my overreaction is that CJ Stroud is an NFL quarterback, second best quarterback in the country right now. And I think he has all the tools and traits to lead Ohio State for the next two, most likely two, but possibly three years, because you never know with the young quarterback. Yeah, my overreaction is I think there's only three teams that could legitimately win a national title. And one of them I'm 50-50 on them being off the list because they're offense. I think it's Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. And I think everyone else can just take the season and be like, okay, we made it, you know. If those three teams don't win a national yeah. championship this year, it's a failure for one of oh, the ones who don't. No, I, I agree 100%. Um, I watched this game and like literally every, and I, I hate saying this because I, I really try very hard not to be a homer, um, which is hard when your team is so good. But I didn't see any team that was going to beat Ohio State except Alabama because Georgia can't score. And there's there's literally no way you hold Ohio State to three points. I don't I don't think God himself could hold Ohio State to three points. Um Clemson's offensive line is terrible and Ohio State's is not. Um, so that's going to take some of it out, off the gate. And I think CJ Stroud's a better quarterback than DJ Uyunglele, although I do think he's a better quarterback than he showed. But if we're being honest, DJ Uyunglele's played three games. He's he's one and two and he should be 0 and three. Um, regardless of stats, he hasn't shown it yet. So I think there's three teams. I'm still... I mean, I came into this picking Georgia or Ohio State. Uh, unfortunately, if Georgia doesn't get an offense, it doesn't look like they're going to be that team either. Uh, but I don't even think that's an overreaction. I just think that's facts. Uh, I think you hit it right on the head. Yeah, so, I mean, week one, my takeaways, I mean, it was really – I was impressed with Alabama's offense and defense. I think they were the most complete team. I was really impressed with Georgia's defense. That defense is legit. That defense is legit as they come. And then – I was looking at Ohio State's offense. I don't think there's a lot of offenses in the country that'll keep up with that. No, I actually think Ohio State has the best yeah, offense. And in the I country think their big year. playability is really um, what separates it. Yeah, which is what separated Georgia and I'm, I'm sorry, which is what separated Alabama and LSU the last two years, respectively. Um, I do have a question for you. Uh, I want to know how you felt because I know how I felt. So me and you, we've been very, very high. I, may, I don't want to say very, very high, but we've been very high on the defense and and saying that it's a nuanced approach. You kind of have to really understand some things. They're not as bad as everyone's saying. I think a lot of people watched it um, and they're very doom and gloom. But then, right, that's easy to say on Thursday. Uh, but then we watched Clemson, uh, we watched Wisconsin and Penn State, where part of it was the offense just being bad, but we saw some kind of really special plays from some of their defense. We watched Georgia's defense, some other things. Um, 
how do you feel now about Ohio State's defense? I know you're never going to be as doom and gloom as some people, but after watching some other defenses and seeing Georgia's defense being ready and prepared week one, uh, where do you fall with Ohio State's defense? Yeah, so I mean, I'm still, I'm never going to be fully out on this defense just because of the pure level of talent they have when you look at the recruiting rankings and all that. But yeah, I mean, we saw it with Georgia. We saw it with even Clemson. Their defenses really came and their front seven dominated the games. It made their jobs for their DBs that much easier. Uh, Brett Venables, for all the Haiti gives, was still very creative in his play calls. Kirby Smart in that same vein. Uh, you know, I, I will say this, though. I think Minnesota's got a better offense in Wisconsin. They have a better offense in Penn State. They're, they're schematically better offensively and all that than Georgia and I'm not saying they're better than them, but schematically, I think they can do more things than a Georgia, than a uh, Clemson. Because we've seen it. Uh, Clemson without a superstar quarterback, what are they? We don't know. They're Owen, they're, they've lost the last two games, one with Trevor Lawrence, one without Trevor Lawrence. So we're kind of starting to see the wheels fall off. And I guess what I, I want to give credit to Minnesota, P.J. Fleck, Mike Sanford, because they came in with a game plan. They had an All-American level running back. That's not stuff you can really combat that easily, especially with seven new starters. So I think this is something we talk about a little bit, but with the defense being so fresh, so raw, I think it's time. we They, they need to have a little bit of time. They need to be able to get comfortable. Uh, but to answer your question, I, I don't feel any worse off than I did after seeing those three because we knew those defenses were going to be good. We knew that was going to be how those teams won games. So – I think the offense is going to carry Ohio State, and if the defense can get to that national top 15, top 20 level that we need, uh, then they'll win a national championship. So uh, that's really what the team – it's the make or break. If the defense can play at the highest level – because I think the offense offense is national championship caliber, without a doubt, and you could win a championship that way. Uh, We just need some semblance of elite defense, and I think our defensive line can get us there. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I think if I was expecting Ohio State to have a top five defense, which is what I want in my heart of hearts, I think I'd be a little bit concerned. But I mean, I think you put the perfect number out there. We've been talking this entire time that last year they were in the 50s and 60s. We're expecting them to get back top 20. Top 20 is all you need. It's unfortunate that they're not going to have a top 10 or top five defense, but Alabama doesn't even have a top 10 or top five defense. Not every year. Um, maybe maybe they year. do this year. Their defense would be good this year, but like, I think as long as we can stay in that top 15, top 20, we should be fine. Um, there are some things that I want them to work on um, and, and, and little things like that. But I, I think I agree. Um, they're, they may not be the best defense in the Big Ten. They may not be the best defense in the country. But as far as that goal of being top 15, top 20, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything that couldn't be fixed. And I didn't see anything that was really, really concerning. I say this a lot with basketball when it comes to like LeBron and stuff like that. And I think you answered perfectly. I think sometimes when you down one side too much, you're not giving enough respect to the other side. And when you down Ohio State's defense as much as people are, I don't think they're giving enough credit and respect to what Minnesota was um, because I think Minnesota is just a much better team than people realize. And I've already been in Twitter arguments with people because 
everyone's just assuming that Oregon has a better offense than Minnesota, and I'm not convinced that they yeah, do. Yeah, so I mean, I know you read my film review. A lot of my undertones in it were the sky's falling. That's what the fan base thinks. Anytime the smallest thing goes wrong, I'm like, you know, for true freshmen, being Ryan Watts, uh, Ryan Watts is a redshirt freshman, and uh, Denzel Burke's a true Burke. freshman. For those guys to come out and play against an experienced receiving group like that, against a system that's very aggressive, taking shots downfield and compete in that way, that gets me excited for the defensive backfield. And you know how high I've been on that group all offseason. Uh, the defensive line, re-watching that film, I don't know how we made any plays in the backfield, to be honest, with that offensive line. They were vicious. They <laughs> I I don't know if you've seen the clip. If you haven't, I'm going to send it to you. Did you see the clip uh, where the guy um, singled yeah, out the it center? Was unreal. Their center is so good, and like nobody was talking about him. He might have been their best like, offensive lineman made, like, out there. And I was literally was just bullying about to say, Toronto. Like, everyone he was talked bullying about the Haskell Garrett, and I've never seen that before. No, I mean, literally, there was one of the long plays where, you know, sorry to nerd out really quickly, but as a center, right, your job is to take the person that's in front of you and literally turn them 180. And like the running back's supposed to go off of your butt. And that doesn't happen against Ohio State's players that much. And you literally just saw him take the perfect step, perfect strike. And he literally just works his way around where he walls him off and he literally puts the player in an entire 180. And it's just like, you don't see that often. He was literally oh, yeah. dominant. Not um, to mention that I, I was looking at uh, my Phil Steele uh, season preview today. When you look at Minnesota's, their average offensive line size was like 6'6", 325 pounds, and they had a 6'9", 390 giant. Yeah. Uh, Oregon's is around 6'5", 295. 295? We have That's what I was thinking. I'm like, Haskell Garrett's 275 and can run. Like, this is – not favorable yeah. for the Oregon Ducks if that's their biggest line. Because I got it right mm-hmm. here. I like to use this during the show just so I could look at names and stuff. But like their center, Alex Forsyth Jr., 305. Their left guard, 6'5, 280. He's a freshman. Right tackle. Uh, and these might not be the guys who are starting, which you guys will hear later, but like he's 325 and their left tackle is big. But like the interior offensive line, usually those are like the thicker, heavier guys. They're just shorter. There's not a lot of size right, on the interior. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. I think that, you know, and, and being optimistic when it comes to the defense, I think we'll see a lot more because I said it, and maybe you didn't believe me, but I said it, Minnesota may have the best off. Well, I think Ohio State's is the best, but they have a top three offensive yeah. line in the country. And who knows? Maybe they're even better than Ohio State because Ohio State has better names, sure, but what they just did to Ohio State and what I think they're going to do to everyone else, um, and it's unfortunate that Mo Ibrahim is going to be out for the year uh, because I think that that takes a, a slight that takes their ceiling down a slight bit. If Mo Ibrahim wasn't injured, I think I left that game feeling like Minnesota was going to oh, play yeah. Ohio State again. And that's Buchanan exactly what I felt. I thought they were, and once again, could be a week one overreaction, could not be. But at the end of the day, I really was impressed with the offensive line play. Uh, I think their defense was always going to be their weakness, which Ohio State obviously took advantage of late in the game. And I do think with Mo Ibrahim, they were going to be able to run track meets with a lot of teams in the conference and come out on top. 
But even speaking of their defense, Ohio State took advantage of it, but everyone does. But they played better. They played better this year than they would yeah, have last year, if that makes sense. Like, there's improvement on the defense. Ohio um, State plays Minnesota last year. They win by, I think, 35 points. Yeah, and also, think about it. Who? How many teams, and this is not a Minnesota podcast, but if we're talking about it, how many teams in the nation, not even the big nation, let's just talk Big Ten, how many teams in the Big Ten can win a game if they only have the ball not for 22 many. minutes? So Minnesota has the game it, plan. It's probably just Ohio Ibrahim, State, if so, we're being completely honest. Because it's, it's definitely not Penn not State. Wisconsin. It's definitely not not with their offensive showing. I mean, in one of they have two really good games every year. Maybe Maryland, Maybe. but I think Maryland just used one of their good offensive games to beat West Virginia. So they're not guaranteed. I mean, they don't think they play Minnesota, but I don't think there's that many teams that can win a game where they have the ball. Twenty one yeah, minutes. Think- uh, that's something that I think Oregon as a team is going to need to look at doing is just eating clock, but like capitalizing yep. eating clock. Uh, so, I mean, we're going to talk about that a lot more here in a few minutes, but uh, I guess the next thing I want to talk about is this is a second big game in two games. Like usually we start off with a relatively easy game week one, whether it's against an Akron, a Bowling Green, a local Ohio school, usually we get that contracted game out of the way. It was Minnesota on the road. We had 10 days as Ohio State to prepare for Oregon, so I think that's an advantage of playing on Thursday. But there's no rest for the wicked. There's no rest when you're chasing national championships. This game is a must-win. It's college football. Every game's a must-win. So I guess first game back in the shoe, there's a lot of pressure on Ohio State. And – I'm excited. I think the atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. I I know we had the ticket issue, whatever happened there. It's because I think Oregon, or not Oregon, Ohio State oversold the price they would get for these tickets being in a pandemic and all that. But I guess what I think really is going to be the case is it's going to be electric. It's a noon game, whatever. We could have that argument 12 times this season, obviously. I'm just excited. I could feel it in the air. It's Wednesday. I'm going to feel it Thursday. Friday night, I just know I'm going to feel the anticipation of a game day walking around town, and that's getting me really excited. No, I I'm, I definitely feel the same exact way. I think um, it's fun to have good games in the beginning of the season, maybe not for the players, you know, maybe not for the coaches, but also I think you look at it, these two – for all the questions people have about Ohio State and and some of the out, like we talk a lot about the outrageous fans and that's whatever but some of the questions that I think you have about Ohio State I think they get answered or at least you should be confident in the fact that if they win both of these games they're good and then they get I think four straight games to figure it out they get Tulsa they get Akron who are Akron's the second or third worst team in the country. And the way Tulsa just looked, they're probably top 10 worst team in the country. Then they get, I believe, Rutgers, which, you know, Rutgers is going to be better than those two, but that's still a pretty easy game. And there's someone else in between that before they have to play Penn State. They get four games to figure it out with the confidence of beating two really good teams and two teams who, with, you know, being mindful of injury and some bad things like that, two th- two teams that are most likely finish top 25 at the end of the year, which is what counts. No one cares about the preseason rankings. 
with good injury, with good injury luck, which unfortunately Minnesota already doesn't have, Oregon and Minnesota should both be top 25 teams at the end of the year. Yeah, and I'm with you on that. I think this is just one of those games that the environment's going to be huge. And that is going to get the butterflies in the stomachs for the young players. It's it, Regardless of how many games you played in your football career, the first home game you play every single season just gets you a little – little bit more nervous and i'm just i'm just so excited uh we talked about this last week going into the football weekend like we're having fans in the stands like that was exciting last week there's going to be fans in the shoe all right you know we had the most badass preseason video talking about the spirits in the air that was awesome the spirits are still going to be there but now we're going to have a hundred thousand fans at least in the shoe you know hating that team from eugene for at least three, four hours. And that's what college football is all about. It's about these huge out-of-conference matchups, and that's why this weekend's going to be unbelievable. We're going to be one of the mar- – we're one of the only four marquee games this weekend. Yeah, because everyone's getting their bye games in. And that, that's why I'm excited about this game. I mean, it's this is why this game sucks being at noon. It is should be highlighted. You know, if Washington won – it would have made that game a little bit better, but that should not have been the night game. This should have been the nightcap. This should have been the game at eight o'clock because it was the only marquee matchup. And there is nothing ESPN has that would match it, period. Yeah, I'm never going to agree with you on that, but I under, I 1000% understand why you feel that way. I love I love Ohio I mean, State at noon. I'm saying Although, we have to do the instant recap. The instant recap. So selfishly, <laughs> I like the noon thing. But yeah, my thing is just as a fan, I like to like Ohio. Like I love college football, and it's hard for me to enjoy college football sometimes when I'm waiting for the Ohio yeah. State game. And so, like Ohio State playing on Thursday was amazing because I got to go on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday with just like. Stress free, and so when Ohio State plays at twelve, it's the same thing. I get to watch the game, get to get it out the way, and then I just get to enjoy the rest of it. I, I hate the seventeen million, especially when it's on ESPN. I hate the seventeen million commercials every commercial break talking about the night game. I hate every halftime show, big noon kickoff, game day. Like it's just like it's just annoying. It's frustrating. It's so much buildup, and so. No one agrees with me. I understand I'm the weirdo, but I love waking up. Ohio State's at noon, and then I just get to enjoy whatever else is on. But from a a standpoint of, like, taking my personal thoughts and beliefs out of it, I fully understand why you and almost everyone else wants it as a night game because that's what the culture is ingrained as. Night games are the big game. The, the best games time. are at night. The two powerhouse, it's prime time. It's 8 o'clock. It's ABC, whatever it's on. That's when you put it on. You have the best um, – announcing crew, the top team, the A-team on there. So I get that from a cultural standpoint and just as expectations. Just personally, I'll never agree with that. Give me noon. Give me Plus noon with the instant recap, I mean, I'm good with a noon game. I mean, that's it. I'm just speaking for the fans here. I understand where they're coming from. I just had to be their voice. Uh, I had to speak to yeah. them because I feel for them. I Someone's remember being there. in school and being like, God, we have to wake up at 8.30 to start pre-gaming for this noon game. You're, <laughs> Like, oh, God, like, you God, know how bad it, I have to start drinking you know how bad at 8.30. It sucks <laughs> taking that to the sip of that first, like, slightly warm natty light right before the game starts. <laughs> I get it, guys. I understand. I was you. Like, it's not the best. 
But it also, I hate starting at 3.30 because I'm not starting at 3.30. I'm still going to start at 8.30. You know how hard it is to be drunk for noon games? Is essentially what Chris and everyone in Still in College is saying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I can't go into the game with like the beverages under my belt that need to relieve the stress. Supposed to start drinking the natty lights at eight thirty in the morning. They don't taste good at eight thirty. They don't taste good at three thirty. But <laughs> it tastes a little better at three thirty. <laughs> I no, I, I totally, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, from a from a maybe that's from a fan perspective, this should be a, a late game. Um, what's going to be interesting though is that this is still probably going to be the most watched oh, game yeah. for anyone who cares about ratings because Ohio one hundred percent. I, I think this is my this is why I like the noon games and I know why Fox does it and it's why CBS that uh, you know the math but CBS doesn't have the three thirty game for much longer like Fox just didn't have a window that was their own so they took the window and I, I get that I respect it but it also only affects Ohio State because it's like yeah. okay. We get it. You're putting us at noon, so you have your own window. But six million Ohio State fans would watch at like three a.m. So it doesn't really yeah. do that much difference. This is this is where you need our opponent and its entire conference to get better, because if Oregon and USC and some of the other teams were better, then some of their games would be marquee, and Ohio State wouldn't have to be at noon. But we get like Ohio State Rutgers at noon because there's no other good games on any of the other Fox broadcasts. So it's like, come on, Oregon, USC, Oregon State, come on, you know what's it, half of the Pac-12 like get better. So your games are better and then you can have the noon slot. And so we can get some more of those night games. But when Ohio state is the marquee team of three conferences, like we get noon noon. and (laughs) it's one of the best and worst parts about being the best is you get put in the TV draft and everyone wants your games first. Yeah. But yeah, I guess uh, I wanted to go take a look at the pressers this week. Uh, I guess when you look at what we're looking at this week, there was quite a bit uh, said, and I, I don't, I don't have a, any direct quotes. I didn't really get to grab those this week; just been busy with work. But my two takeaways were: we're going to see a little bit more steady of a running back rotation. It's not going to be, hey, you get a series, hey, you get this. I think it's going to be Mayan Williams, and it's going to be Travion Henderson, like it should be. Because remember, before the season, I was like, let's give Master Tig a shot. He's got he's old. I that's no. the old Urban Meyer brain in me. I'm like, let's trust the guy. <laughs> I, I saw Travion Henderson run. I saw Mayan Williams run. It's, it's different. It's not the it's same. Different. Uh, I I've never seen and, someone at running back at Ohio State as fast as Travion Henderson. And I really hate to push this point because I'm not anti we love Master, Master Teague, Teague on as much as people think I am. But Ohio, here's the thing. And I just want you to, like, if you can watch the game, if you can watch a recap, or if you, or if you can take a picture, Ohio State had the same holes for all three running backs. But And some of these numbers are fake, just trying to remember. But, like, Travion Henderson wasn't getting touched until seven yards. Mayan Williams wasn't getting touched until five yards. Master Teague was getting cut, touched at two. And then the other thing is like, it's old school football, but like in today's football, the the pistol formation is sort of a yeah. disadvantage. And if you notice, they only Master ran the Teague. pistol with Master Teague. And, and this is one of the few smart things that 
broadcasters say because half of them don't know football. They mentioned it. They said when you have a running back like Master Teague, you put him in the pistol so he can get more momentum because he's not like he has to build up to it. Well, the thing is, if you have a just simple math, if you have a running back who can run through a hole and not get touched until seven yards and you have a running back that can run through a hole and not get touched until five yards, why are you playing the running back that's running through the same exact holes and getting tackled at three yards? He's just not fast enough to get there. The holes are there. He's just not fast enough. And like, it's not like we were playing some world-beating defense either. It wasn't like we were playing Clemson or Alabama or one of these more elite defenses in the country. We were playing Minnesota's defense. And against those elite defenses, to your point, sorry to, sorry to steal your thunder, them holes no, aren't going to last. need the burst. <laughs> and I, I was surprised. This is one thing I will say. I, I knew Mayan Williams was shifty. And a lot of people are like, that's the slowest run I've seen uh, someone score a long touchdown run on. I'm like, it's only slow because his legs are small and they're thick. So it looks slow. But Mayan Williams is flying. Yeah. I mean. You can't uh, just yeah. score 75-yard touchdowns as Master Teague, as J.K. Dobbins showed us. And I love J.K. Dobbins, but there are times his first two years where he was getting hot. Yeah, That's, but like the difference with was Jake, the difference with JK booth, is like he was faster than anybody. Yeah, so it's like sure we didn't get some of those long touchdowns, and there was one specific year where that hurt us because we couldn't score in the red zone to save our lives. Year, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah, we couldn't score in the red zone to save our lives, and it's like man, we wish we had Zeke because he would have finished that touchdown, and then we wouldn't have this issue. But like. I'm taking 50 yards and get caught at the 10 a million times over before yeah. I take three and yards. And I'm, I'm not saying that we just, like, Mayan Williams could run through people. There's times in the game where he had a three-yard game that he turned into an eight- or nine-yard game because he just doesn't go down. You know, I don't know if Travion Henderson has that in him yet just because he's a freshman. We can't really judge it on that. But I've seen what he could do with the ball in his hands. He got yeah. four touches. And like, th- that's not enough. Yeah, and I'm fine with him not starting. I think Mayan Williams earned it. And I think as of today, as of right now, Mayan Williams is the more yeah. complete back because you know he can pass protect. And like you said, you know he can run through tackles. Some of the things with young running backs, sometimes you don't know if they can pass protect. You don't know the if they're going to fumble. Like there are some things. Yeah, there are some things that it's like fine. Like you need to see them get hit live by a a, a 24-year-old, um, six foot three, 250-pound linebacker. Like Jack Sanborn. Jack Sanborn's got to be my yeah, he's been I feel like he's been at Wisconsin ever. forever. Like, and, and anyone who knows, there is a difference physically between someone that is 18 and someone that's 23. So, like, you need to see those. So, I'm not mad with, you know, Travion Henderson not starting as of now, but it should be Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson. Yeah, and this is one thing. The other thing I sort of took away, and, you know, there's been a lot of people just talking about Kerry Coombs' defense. And, you know, Coombs had to sit down in front of the mics and take the bullets. He had to, like, say, like, yeah, you know, there was times where we were trying to match up personnel. There was times we were trying to match up bodies. Uh, we wanted to see what different guys provided to the game. And I think that's one thing defensive coaches love to do the first game. Uh, they love to get as many guys in as they can. I think it's going to shrink naturally. I think we're going to find the the more I, – I, I hate using this term, but the alphas of the defense are going to be the guys in crunch time, in big moments that are always in the game. And – you know, we saw it. Minnesota was really trying to get creative 
with their personnel. They brought in two offensive linemen. And I don't want smaller bodies against two offensive linemen. I don't know anyone who would. But it also puts you at a disadvantage because they were throwing a lot out of that. So we're limiting what we can do in the pass game. So it it was just creativity from their side that we saw that I think made Coombs think a little bit more, made the defense think a little bit more. Yeah, I think the most important thing for me on the defensive side is that they said that this was a one game thing like that. The hockey lines and some of the other kind of stuff that like nobody wanted to see that they, you know, kind of um, they basically just said it was because or I mean, sorry, it was because Minnesota is weird and they were doing some unique things and we felt like we had to play this way against them. Um, and that makes me happy in the fact that hopefully it was just against them and we'll get some normal rotations and some, some normal, like these are your guys. Yeah. Uh, and to get a little into Oregon before we really get into them is they run a lot of 11 personnel, which we could line up to against in our base. They run a lot of 20 personnel, which we could line up against in our base and they run a lot of 10 personnel. And if you guys don't know what that means, 11, one back, one tight end, uh, 22 back, zero tight ends, and then uh, 10 personnel, one back, no tight ends. And uh, that's very straightforward spread offense. That is what Joe Moorhead does. Uh, And he likes it that way. He likes to keep it simple because it helps his players play without thinking as much. So we're not going to see the hockey line shifts. We'll see substitutions regularly, like with the defensive line. But – I just think this week the defense is going to look a lot different because of that reason. Yeah, I I agree 100%. Um, I mean, there were times when Ohio State had five defensive linemen on the field. That's never going to happen because no one plays like Minnesota. So I I left, you know, the press conference with um, a little bit of good feelings. The only thing that worries me – and I wish I could pull up the quote. I was actually trying to search it, but I can't find the bullet point. Is um, Ryan, and I'm, maybe I'll let you continue talking while I try to find it. There was just one thing that Kerry Coombs said that I was just like, mm, I don't really like that. It was something along the lines of like not being prepared for something yeah. or not expecting something. And I was like, mm, that's not really what you want for your, your for your um your defensive coordinator. And I'm still not entirely convinced that Kerry Coombs is the right guy for the defense. Um, and we we're going to find mean, out. You uh, this find year out. is a make it or break year for the Buckeyes. And a lot of it's on Kerry Coombs' shoulders. Uh, I think one conversation we have a lot in the Slack chat is, you know, a big question is the linebackers. And, you know, since Al, Wa- Al Washington's been there, he was pretty blessed to have Malik Harrison and Pete Werner as one of his groups, right? And Jeff Halfley is the coordinator and Craig Madison to help him out with the front seven. Uh, last year, he didn't have Halfley. He didn't have uh, that extra help for Madison because he was gone. And it really showed that the linebackers were a little bit of a weakness at the end of the year. Uh, whether that's talent or personnel. And then week one, I'm looking at it. Uh, at some point, I think... Uh, I know you hated I know you hated saying it, but at times it felt like Bill Davis was the linebackers coach again. And that's something that made me feel not excited moving forward. Yeah, that was the worst feeling. It's like everything else is that was the one thing that kind of made me feel like 
it couldn't be fixed. Everything else, I was like, oh, it can be fixed. It can be fixed. It can be fixed. It'll be fine. But that Bill Davis feeling in my gut watching the linebackers, that is that yeah, and concerns me. It, it was game one. We were playing Muhammad Ibrahim. We were playing an elite offensive line. So I want to give some credit to Minnesota. We've been giving a lot of credit to Minnesota, and I think we're starting to sound like Minnesota homers at this point. But I, I, I'd rather err on the side of – our conference is really good and it's going to prepare us for the best outside of it. Then our conference is terrible and the sky is falling. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who wants to go with the, who wants to go with the conference uh, yeah. is terrible. And I, I do, I do think like, I don't think there's many players in the country better than Ibrahim. So, uh, it sucks. That injury is one of the worst things that could have happened in college football. You know, Ronnie Bell getting hurt. It's one of the worst things that could happen in college football because you lose star players, man. And that's never fun to watch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I we can transition a little bit into uh, the little bit of a scouting report on Oregon. And then we got a special treat for you guys after that. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We actually had it uh, addicted to quack come on. But first, let's get into Oregon a little bit. Let's get into knowing the enemy before we get into the interview. Uh, so, Oregon last year, 4-3, and three, won the Pac-12 because of a loophole in the rule. In the rule. Uh, whoever was supposed to represent over them got COVID, and then they ended up playing in the Pac-12 title, and they ended up making it to a BCS bowl game. So... Uh, I don't know if that's the type of success I want, but Mario Cristobal has improved every year. They've got 16 returning starters. I just know we saw him barely beat Fresno State last week. So I just want to get your impressions coming out of the weekend from Oregon. Uh, my impressions with Oregon is that they're a – they're a team in transition. Um, Cristobal has been there three years. His recruiting's getting better. One thing that you'll hear um, with our interview is just that a lot of his star players are young, uh, freshmen and sophomores. Um, I, I think they have a lot of talent, but I'm not exactly sure that they always know how to use that talent. And I also think there's kind of the um, Urban Meyer conundrum of – do I play the players that I recruited who are younger or do I respect and show loyalty to the older players? So I think there's some places where they're really talented. And then there's some places where I won't go as far to say average, but there's some places where they're just kind of weaker. Um, and that matters when you're playing. That may not matter so much in the Pac-12, but that matters when you play a team like Ohio State. Um, as far as the weekend in, in itself, I'm really torn on if Oregon's just not that good offensively because Anthony Brown is the quarterback and they're just not that creative. Um, Joe Moorhead is a solid offensive coordinator, but I mean, Penn State never had the best offense in the country. I, I do think there are flaws in that offense or if it was kind of a trap game. It's weird to say that week one is a trap game, but if it was a trap game, they tried to hide too much against um, Fresno State trying to get ready yeah. for Ohio State. And so I don't really know where I lean on that one. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. I think they tried to hide some things, and that just wasn't really smart when you almost lost. But I also am le kind of leaning, and maybe their offense just isn't that good um, because I just don't trust Anthony Brown. He's like in his seventh year. We've seen all that he has to offer with BC. And so – I think, you know, 
I'm not convinced that their offense is better than Minnesota's. I'm not convinced that they're dominant in any one area, especially on offense. That's not the defense because they are dominant on defense, at least with Thibodeau. I'm not sure that they're dominant enough in any one area to really scare Ohio State, except No, I'm with you. I I think they have some serious star power on defense. Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. All three of those guys are very young still. Like, I I don't think a lot of people know Thibodeau is draft eligible this year. But still, I mean, he's he's been a three-year starter. Like, he's still, like, 21 years old. Like, that's their defense. And uh, when I was watching the game, the one thing that impressed me was how – good their defense was their defensive line mostly and their linebackers were producing big plays and i know it was against fresno state but fresno state's going to be a legit mountain west contender caitlin DeBoer knows how to run offenses like he's not a slouch as a head coach in his first year like he's a smart guy uh the one thing though oregon scored three touchdowns off of turnovers that happened on fresno state side of the field so 21 of their points came from drive shorter than 50 yards. I don't think you get those with Ohio State. That's just hard to recreate. It's it's very hard to recreate. And, you know, two of those fumbles were just on Fresno State being outmatched talent-wise and Kayvon Thibodeau just being an absolute freak. One of them was Noah Sewell making an insane play, getting the ball out late on a tackle with a nice punch. And then... Uh, it, it just ended up being the pass rush and the linebackers. And I think we talked about this a lot kind of at the end of our instant recap show. The matchups with Oregon are strengths and strengths on the fronts. Like our offensive line versus their defensive line is going to say a lot about both teams. Yeah. Um, and just looking, you know, I always try to bring a little bit of stats in last year. Well, first of all, they're returning 84 percent of their production, um, which is top 20. It's 18, actually. So they're bringing in the same guys. And even though we talk about how good their defense is with Kayvon Thibodeau and uh, Justin Flo and Noah, they Sewell, give up a lot of points. They're not. They give up a lot of points for one. They gave up 28 points, per 28 points per game. But they're not a good rushing defense. Um. And I think that's one of the things that kind of, as we talk about Kayvon Thibodeau, that kind of separates him from the Joey Bosa's, the Nick Bosa's, and the, and the Chase Young's. I don't know that he's that good yeah. at defending the run as they are. He's more of a pure pass rusher. Last year, they gave up 170 yards per game rushing, which was 70th. And they uh, they gave had negative plays on 7% of their uh, defensive plays, which was 110th in the country. And I'm sorry, if you can't get negative plays – against some of the teams that you play in the Pac-12, if you're 110%, you 110th in the country, you are not tackling our running no. backs in the backfield. You're not getting – and how many of that How many of that 7% is just straight, straight Kayvon Thibodeau sacks? You know, you can only get a couple sacks a game. So those are the kind of things like you're talking about the strengths. If, if we get in trouble, we'll yeah, just run the ball. It's definitely there's there's solutions to the problems Oregon creates. You can move the pocket away from <laughs> You can move the way we run the ball away from those. Uh, you can schematically design plays to avoid their best defensive players, and Ryan Day's been very capable of doing that. So uh, I'm looking at their defense. It, it A lot of people are like, it's a 3-4. It's more actually a 3-3-5. They go with kind of a small hybrid type defender. Ooh. Uh, that like kind of big safety uh, rather than that. Uh, 
it's not a traditional you don't have that traditional fourth linebacker from what I saw. And I, I don't want to say that's not great, but when you have three down linemen, you need your you that's need your great. linebackers to be ferocious. You need them to be living at the line of scrimmage. And against Fresno State, Oregon's linebackers didn't do that. And yes, they made some big plays, but Fresno State was gashing them offensively. And if it wasn't for spotting Oregon 14 points, I don't think we're as excited for this game. Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I would still be excited just because how many times we get to see Ohio's. Yeah, but uh, I definitely understand what you're saying. One thing that I would say in um, this, in my opinion, this game has a better chance of being a blowout than That's Minnesota what I feel ever too. did. Uh, this this could be a really tough game. Oregon is a really good team, but just, you know, and those matchups and some of the things and the fact that Oregon's not going to be able to hold the ball for 48 minutes like um, Minnesota did, this game could get out of hand very quickly um, because we've seen it before. Like, you can take dominant pass rushers out the game. And also, our whole line is just so good. It's it, not that Kayvon Thibodeau is not going to win, but like, I don't think anyone on our offensive line is scared of him. They respect him, but they're not scared. Like we've played good. I mean, they, he's better than Zach Harrison, but some of these offensive linemen, especially Nicholas Petit for you, I'm, I'm sorry, especially Thayer Munford, they went up against Chase Young. They got to see Nick. There's no way Thayer didn't play against Nick. Like they, they they're are. used to it. Um, I, I, I don't I know. Like he by himself is not going to win this game. People would be fearing Thibodeau, but I, I, I moved. If they match him up with Dewan Jones and get some one-on-one matchups with him, I think he could win a few. But then again, you know what happens yes. is Ryan Day sees that. Oh, let's just hand the ball off. Because I know, guess who's going to maul him off the line of scrimmage? Dewan Jones. I mean, I mean, I think I said this last week. The other team yeah, gets they're, paid Yeah, they're too. on scholarship too. <laughs> like he's, he's – I'm – especially with the way the quarterbacks played, I think he's yeah. the number one pick. Like if he's not – literally the only way he's not the number one pick is if the Houston Texans like – absolutely get the number one pick and they just absolutely have yeah. to take a quarterback and like maybe they get it just out of necessity but like he's the number one pick and like he's that good absolutely um, so yeah, he's gonna win I'm looking at it. i think this is gonna be a great game for the defensive backs i think seven banks cam brown if they come back uh if not ryan watts denzel burt because oregon does not have one of those household names at wide receiver uh i don't see that being that way. And I, I know we talked in the interview about it. Uh, CJ Verdell, uh, their other running back. Let me pull his name real quick. Uh, Travis Dye. Travis Dye is a speedster, but I do believe that our linebackers can have a really big game against this team and get a lot of confidence because this is a big game, regardless of how we want to slice it, regardless of what the score ends up being. This is a huge football game. This is conference v. conference. Yeah. This is ranked versus ranked. Uh, this is possible conference champion versus probable conference champion. Uh, Two playoff it, it, This is what college football is all about. And I, I think it's a legitimately good test to grow. And we're going to get that added mix of the quarterback run game. But I, I, I know Tanner Morgan kind of slices this up a little bit. I, I don't know if Anthony Brown has the game-breaking ability to really – 
break us open that way. And I just don't see them being able to consistently hit on passes downfield. I don't see their offense keeping up with us. And I think this is a good offense to gain a lot of confidence against. Yeah, I think so. And even if it's one of those games where it's like Oregon's not as good as people think they are, which I'm not saying that's true. Even if that's true, I think this is a game you gain confidence off of just yeah, the name for sure. alone. Like right? Tyreek Smith um, comes out of this game with two and a half sacks against Oregon. His confidence is through the roof. You know, Zach Harrison, same way. No. And it's different. It's not like we you know. It's not like getting two and a half yeah, sacks it's not against like getting Rutgers. Two and a half. It's, it's not like you expect to get that done. So even if Oregon, even if it turns out that Oregon's not as good as we think they are, which I am not saying because I, if I was betting, I I have Oregon winning the Pac-12. I think um, it's a tough bet at thirteen. I, I mean, the cover is not an automatic here by any means because they're good defensively. So. I think it's a really good barometer for both teams. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're going to go to a quick break here, and then we're going to give you guys a nice interview with our friends from Addicted to Quack and make sure you guys check out his podcast, Adam. Uh, Adam's podcast with Jordan this week, uh, the Quack 12 podcast. I love all the quack puns. This is what sports journalism and covering teams is all about. It's beautiful. Uh, but we'll be back from the break with a nice interview for you guys. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Hey guys, uh, welcome back. This is your host, Christopher Rennie. I'm here with Adam from Addicted to Quack, our SB Nation brethren here. Uh, welcome in today. We're previewing the Oregon game, as you guys already know, listening to the show, uh, listening to the week of podcasts we've had in the feed so far. This is a big at-home matchup. Uh, Oregon provides a lot of interesting tests, and we're really excited to have Adam here today. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm doing good, man. I, I'm excited to talk to both of you, too. I mean, I already talked to, to Jordan. We had a real fun little discussion just about, oh, man, this game's going to be so exciting, and I could talk about it for 10 more hours straight or until the kickoff actually happens at 9 in the morning on our side. So I, I'm I'm thrilled, man. Yeah, we're, like, we're super excited to have you here. It's not always... Uh, possible to have these nice crossovers every single week of the season. So it's always an awesome opportunity to do that with you guys, especially when uh, recent history, Oregon's a much improved program. Oregon is recruiting at a higher level uh, after a few tough years with Helfrich. And I know, you know, his name, I forgot it because oh, it's very forgettable. Taggart for a second. Willie Taggart there for a <laughs> oh, second. Yeah, Willie that. Taggart. That's for it. Right. A hot That's right. second. A hot second. <laughs> and then he took the Florida State job. That's right. But yeah, His you guys, job, yeah. <laughs> under Cristobal, it's not that high-octane offense we remember under Chip Kelly. It's a little different. They're playing physical football. They're playing big boy football, I'd say now, more than they mm-hmm. were in the past. I'm not saying it didn't work in the past, but now it's uh, 180 almost. And it's defense first in the trenches, and then everything else comes from that. And I I just kind of want to get your opinion on how it's felt to watch that transition. Well, you know, like back in the day when like you had that famous quote, we had all that Chip Kelly success, but you had that quote from Scott Frost now of Nebraska being like, oh, you you can't recruit to Eugene. They just there's no people don't want to come out to Oregon uh, for, to go from that mindset to Mario Cristobal, who is, you know, who's competing at a national level, who's doing uh, things we've never seen on this side. And that honestly, for the Pac-12, probably only USC has really reached this level of recruiting 
in the past. Um, that's been pretty amazing, pretty shocking. And like you said, the style of play, uh, you know, Chip Kelly's back in the Pac-12, but he's not at Oregon. And we look very much different. And uh, the funny thing is back in the, you know, during our heyday in the in the Kelly era, there was that, you know, new, just super fast, no huddle, awesome offense that now all of college football and even some of the NFL are, you know, really taken yeah. in. Um, and it used to be us. We were there and then Stanford was our rivals and they were the, you know, very hot, good at recruiting as well, had big physical players. And, and it was always a really good matchup between those two. Uh, we have literally, it feels sometimes morphed into that Stanford team that we used to play all the time, where we would love to just run it down your throat if we can. Uh, obviously, Cristobal is like an offensive line guy. Yeah. And so that is what he prides himself on. And um, so it has been interesting to, you know, it, it's been the recruiting alone has made the fan base thrilled. Uh, we have beaten Wisconsin in a Rose Bowl. So luckily he does get a big check of like you have accomplished something meaningful here at the end of a season. You've won the Pac-12. We're hoping to get to that next level of success. And this next week is really going yeah, to prove to us if we're ready to even an interesting question just as like a football fan perspective. What as fans, what is Oregon's expectation? With Ohio State, it's easy. Win the Big Ten every year, get to the playoffs, win a national championship. Every every once in a while, they may accept a, a, a loss to Alabama, but like we weren't accepting losses to Clemson. I feel like this year, if we play anyone outside of Alabama in the national championship game, the expectation is to win. So obviously, he's far from it, but what are the expectations as fans and what would have to happen for Cristobal to be on the hot seat? Is it, you know, five more years not making the playoffs? Are you okay with that? Like, what do fans expect from the program? What do you want to see? I would think, um, well, just to get straight to the Chris Paul question, for him to get on the hot seat, I think, first of all, it would absolutely, his recruiting would have to dip because that is something that we are so shocked and, and, and he seems to be a guru of this that I think it would take some truly terrible results on the field, like consistently not winning the Pac 12. Um, consistently losing to Washington, uh, which was just Montana. I'm just going to pepper that in as much as I can in this interview. Um, you know, like losing to Washington, losing to Oregon State, not winning the Pac-12, maybe not even going to the Pac-12 championship game. You gave us five straight years of that, then maybe the re- naturally the recruiting would probably fall off at that point. But um, I think it would have to take something like that because right now there's a lot of Duck fan. Like we talked about the Ohio State fan base, how sometimes their expectations can be uh, ridiculous a bit, understandably so because the success you've had. But uh, Oregon's is a, a little under that, but still yep. <laughs> we have tasted the playoffs. Y'all remember, um, <laughs> but we have tasted the playoffs and we got to, it seems like just naturally with this amount of talent, if you don't make it, at least winning that Pac-12 championship game and being in contention for the playoffs, um, eventually more and more people are going to jump on a, on the theory that it's like he's not developing these players well enough. He doesn't have an offensive actual like identity to this team. He's just hoping that the talent will be enough. And we got Joe Moorhead, which on paper should be great. 
Um, tough week one showing, tough tough showing of last season, but no one's going to blame you for 2020 pandemic season installing a new offense. So, um, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what happens. And uh, I, I think Cristobal will be here. I think it's more likely that he would be poached than actually be fired Unless his his just the whole yeah, program people are saying that maybe he leaves for him. USC. I'm I'm not sure if that's a better job at this point. Um, not nationally, like name brand wise, it is, but no, I'm not sure if that's actually a better job. I just I was just asking because mm-hmm. not to disrespect you with this comparison, but it almost feels like the well. The disrespect is the comparison to Michigan, but it also kind of feels like the Kirby Smart at Georgia. It's like how much better can you do? Like, you know, you look at Michigan, aside from some really bad losses, it's like they're 10-2, and 11-1. They can't beat Ohio State, but they have some bowl games. Their biggest problem is they don't win in the bowl game. You already mentioned that you beat Wisconsin, that kind of stuff. But then you look at Georgia, which is maybe a better comparison. Mm-hmm. You win a bunch of games. You can't really make the playoffs, do good in the bowl games. It's like, are you happy in that happy medium? Or like, who could you possibly get that's going to take you to that next step to make you more of an... Ohio State or a Clemson, but then with the recruiting, it, it may be fair to feel that the top four teams in the nation should be Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oregon, and that you should be fighting for those playoff spots and, and things like that. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting, too, because with that, um, and, you know, I think those expectations every year is going to get bigger and bigger of like, you sh- hey, we should be, if we win the, the Pac-12 and we have one loss, maybe two if, if a bunch of stuff went wrong, but really it's got to be one loss because we're Pac-12, um, and, and you win the – then you should get to the playoffs. So, and that expectation is going to get higher and higher and higher. They almost got – we almost got the <laughs> pleasure of getting blown out by LSU a couple years ago. That would have been nice, you know. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I think it's interesting too because – the year of having all these returners, you know, because no one's scholarship limit is uh, because of what happened in 2020. Everyone gets another year, basically. Um, we got so much depth and and returning talent, but the talent, the the new true crystal ball recruiting talent is still pretty young. There's a lot of freshmen yeah. or, or like people who've been in the program for two years. So I would think in a, in a couple of years, if he stays at this trajectory, then the question should absolutely be like, why aren't you in the playoff at this point? Like, and, and you know that, and that's <laughs> such a, hopefully if playoffs expanded, but like that's yeah, such a to tough that thing up. too. Yeah. 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 I mean, that would be, then it would be a, a must, right? Like, yeah, cause that was Kliakoff's yeah. big thing. That whole Lions press conference, press conference. All I took away from George Kliakoff was playoff expansion. We're getting this thing expanded. We're always going to have a pac 12 team there. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's what, that's what you want that commissioner what to say. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially uh, with the last commissioner, I'm not going to bring up his name because he was just so bad. Sorry, God, I would have turned this off. I would have left. You did. Podcast would have been over. <laughs> yeah, you know, it'd be probably a good idea if we could have these games so uh, people could I'm see them. I'm ready to turn the podcast off. Maybe, the maybe that's good for such a failure. And I just don't like it's almost a punishment. To, and I know you want to put <laughs> Oregon on there because, like, there's a reason why Ohio State has to play games on the Big Ten Network. But you can watch the Big Ten Network. I was so upset when mm-hmm. I couldn't watch this game. And it's just mm-hmm. like, how? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I had to, I had to get a one week free trial of Fubo TV just to watch the Oregon Fresno <laughs> State game, and I can't even skip around in it. 
Yeah, I know. It stinks. I mean, again, I think that Washington-Montana game is worth the price for like the one month. But otherwise, the Pac-12 isn't exactly putting out a whole bunch of product that you should be watching over the the big time TV. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Like, unfortunately, I'm... Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm forced sometimes where I got to watch, you know, some like uh, Cal versus Nevada when there's a real game going on or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure you guys get that sometimes. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When we get like a nice little Rutgers versus like whoever they're playing, it's like, yeah. oh, God, we had to watch this on Big Ten Network. But <laughs> it happens. And that's what I mean. That's what we're here for. That's why we're happy we have these huge out of conference matchups because it makes up for the Ohio State Rutgers games. It makes up for those Ohio State Illinois <laughs> games that are just a little hard to get through sometimes. And yeah. Mm-hmm. We have a huge game to prepare for, so I kind of want to get into what we should expect from the Oregon Ducks. And I, I mean, your first, your first impression of this team in Fresno State. My first impression, front four, uh, front seven, unbelievable. They are a fast yeah. group, different with Thibodeau in the game as anyone would be with an elite offensive or defensive player like that. But you, what is your first impression, Adam, of what you expect from this Oregon team offensively and defensively? Well, um, one of the things that scared me and a lot of other Duck fans right off the bat was that the offensive line play was a little bit weak, um, especially and especially against, you know, Fresno State, which credit to Fresno State, like they are looking like a contender in the Mountain West, like good for them, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, there was a lot of times where like Anthony Brown definitely has a ceiling but he's also like a senior, senior quarterback. Like he's been around the block and a lot of the, um, he definitely had some off throws, but a lot of it was just the pocket was collapsing like that. And again, like I said, Cristobal, like that's his identity is that offensive line. And he's really mixing in a lot of guys. So it, it feels like he's not for some reason he's, he hasn't really uh, locked in on five starting offensive linemen. Uh, there's a clear rotation that he has, like every third or fourth, you know, drive, like you two are coming in, you were two and, and switching around a lot. And I, th- I think that's some kind of master plan because I think he, but I, I'm not sure if it's going to work. I'm excited to see what he does against Ohio State. If he gets five starters out there, these are my five best guys. Um, that definitely concerned me. The defense overall, like you said, I mean, that's that's the strength, and we knew that going into this season. That's where you know three of Oregon's top five recruits of all time are on the defense this season. You know, that's Kayvon Thibodeau, Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, and, and a few others are, are very high up there in the position. Um, uh, we were a little concerned with the defensive back play. Which, again, going into the season, that was a problem, too. Especially since, I don't know if y'all caught this little storyline, but we had two projected starters. Um, oh, yeah, I know the uh, story. One, yeah, <laughs> Jamal Hill and DJ James went around being idiots, honestly, shooting people with the little uh, uh, airsoft guns. Yep. And they got in trouble with the cops, as I, you should, because that's not a smart thing to do. I heard that's that's what you should do right before the season starts. <laughs> I heard that Cristobal <laughs> right, right Saban and suspended them too. just for one game. You know, we, we, we know what that means. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, Handled it in-house. 
<laughs> well, you know, he had to teach them that important <laughs> lesson. The on- he, They had to miss out on the honor of playing Fresno State. And now their punishment is like, all right, you can come back oh, for yeah. Ohio State, I guess. I mean, in a way, that is a little bit of a punishment going up against Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson without any game reps under your belt. Like, yeah. I wouldn't wish that yeah. on anybody playing defense, let alone two guys coming off of uh, – yeah. Shooting people, shooting at people with airsoft guns. I know. And the crime is so light. Like you keep, I keep saying crime. I mean, I guess it is. And, and it's one it's of those a, things where it's like, it's not that serious, but at the same time, it's pretty serious. Yeah. Like someone, you know, they don't know. And, and I know, and, and I said on my podcast, like if I'm Cristobal, if I'm being real with myself, I get paid to win football games. Um, Ohio State is going to be the biggest football game in, in, Oregon football history for for a while since like we last played you and so uh you know we get millions of more dollars if we win that game overall and so yeah you two are coming back on the squad and and I am excited to see them because that week one game made me a little bit nervous like that is definitely a weakness too and and your your boy like you know he he's a freshman, but he showed that sometimes if he can get a clean pocket, if he can get that, like he can absolutely make that throw. Uh, amazing talent there. He's young, but he will absolutely burn us, and he can burn us. Yeah, and sort of me and Jordan were talking about this all week, and I'll let Jordan get in here next. But like, this is a game strength on strength. We've been talking about that since mm-hmm. last week, immediately after the Minnesota game. Like our offensive line is probably our biggest strength. Your defensive mm-hmm. line is probably your biggest strength. Our receivers are probably our biggest strength. Your defensive backs are not relatively that. And then you kind of can do that on each matchup in the game. And Mm -hmm. that's something like our DBs against your receivers. It's not a matchup that's extremely favorable for either side because we don't know much about them. So as Mm -hmm. from a matchup standpoint, this game has a lot of really great one-on-one matchups. And I'm excited about that part. Absolutely. And like a few of them, because I will say like cornerback, we're feeling pretty good on cornerback, especially like Mikhail Wright. He's one of those dudes that it's just like you don't hear his name in a game. You don't like see him at all because the quarterback isn't throwing that way. You know what I mean? And I and I am very excited to see even on plays that he gets beat. I'm excited to see what it takes to beat him, you know, and uh, uh, DJ James. I don't think he's getting a start right off the bat because of his time off. But um. I don't know. Yeah, those individual matchups I'm very excited for, especially I just want to see um, what Noah Sewell, what Justin Flo can do because, I mean, you guys are elite of the elite, and I want to see what these five stars are up yeah. to. Yeah, Sewell, I mean, he flashed. He forced that fumble early, but Flo yeah. was the guy. I was like, holy crap, who who is this mm-hmm. kid? I like, wanted to see how old he was, and I'm like, this kid's – I don't know if he's a redshirt freshman think he's a or a true freshman, freshman right? but I was like, this kid can play football. Or, or so last season he did play one game okay. and then he got injured and he was out for the whole remainder of the season. Okay, that's why. So I that's definitely, yeah, it's definitely why you don't see him around. And, uh, and so now he's came in. That was a huge impression. He did have, I believe, like a personal foul in there or something like that. And th- that's just being young and excited, I imagine. But I mean, yeah, he made a, that huge game changing, uh, strip at the end and came with 14 tackles and is, first game of the season he was and Noah Sewell oh yeah like it's it's just amazing and Noah Sewell is uh last season he played every game and I've never seen talent like that uh for an inside linebacker for the Ducks 
like as a freshman, just blowing, like blowing past a center, just pushing through it. Like I'd never seen like that before. And, and, and he'll have some highlights in this game, no matter what, even if it's a blowout from yeah, as someone side, that played linebacker. And I think linebacker is one of the most important positions on the field. I really hate to say this, but and, and today's game, a, a really good linebacker isn't going to win you games. Um, I think we saw that a little bit with um, Zayvon Collins at mm-hmm. Tulsa. I mean, there was more than just him, and Tulsa lost him, and they're not very good, but you kind of need more. You need an offense. You need those kind of things. Um, so my question that I want to ask is, what matchups are you most excited for? We know you have the three players. You have Kayvon Thibodeau. I'm really interested to see that matchup because, first of all, mm-hmm. Ohio State's never had to do this that, that I can remember. And I wonder if they trust the tackles one-on-one or if he gets the Chase Young treatment. Um I mentioned this on your podcast that, you know, mm-hmm. maybe I'm a little bit biased. I don't know if he's... Chase Young, but he's very, very close. Like if we were doing ratings, you give Chase Young a 98, he's a 96. Like I think there's a couple of things that maybe Chase is better at, but I'm interested to see that matchup. Obviously, do they play one-on-one or does he get the Chase Young treatment as in double teams, that kind of stuff. But from an Oregon side, what matchups do you think that you can exploit or do you hope that you can exploit against Ohio State? Well, obviously, you know, like the talking point about Ohio State, especially because like uh, a team of Ohio State's caliber, someone who just, you know, played in the in the huge game from last season, um, you're kind of being like, okay, if there is a weakness, where is the weakness? And it's clear, like, it seems like the secondary. I've heard a lot of talk about that. And Oregon going into this was very excited about our receiving core because of the younger talent, specifically uh, Troy Franklin. Uh, he's a freshman, true freshman, 6'2", 169, and he earned the starting spot like right off the bat and was huge in the spring game. I know I'm talking about a spring game. Who cares? But was huge in the spring game, like looked like that electric talent that could make something big. Um, he did not play that much or was not a, a huge factor against Fresno State. I think he had like some tackles on special teams or something, but like didn't catch a ball. And in fact, they actually went back to a lot of just kind of the old reliable receivers like Johnny Johnson, the three, uh, Micah, uh, Micah Pittman uh, and Chris Hudson, who's been on the team for a while. Um, but man, if Troy Franklin can really come out there, if I, I think I heard that he was a little bit banged up is why he didn't play. But even by the end of the game, they're like, oh, no, he's fully he's ready to go. So if he can really come out there like as the X receiver, I think that will open a lot. Um, because I, I just like the look of him a lot. Uh, and from what I hear, that is a weakness for Ohio State. I hope that's true. I hope that's a weakness we can take advantage of. Um, honestly, I'm excited to see Anthony Brown's run game specifically because, I, I mean, that dude is not afraid of contact. He And when he sees open grass, like from what we saw, and, you know, there's all that Boston College film too, like he is a decent runner. And I really think... Moorhead and Cristobal are going to make that a huge part of the game. I think that was the plan anyways, but I think if they can get something like that going, then potentially 
they can, it seems crazy, but potentially keep up with this Ohio State offense, which is just ridiculous. And then uh, outside of that, I mean, I'd like to see some of our cornerbacks, uh, Triquez Bridges, Dante Manning, uh, DJ James, if he gets a lot of time. I don't know if he's actually going to get out there because those are the guys that are going to be attacked and that are going to have to defend your just world-class receivers. So even though I'm not excited as in I think they're going to show up and shut those guys down because probably not and definitely I'll be at the end of this game I'll be thinking why didn't we actually <laughs> be christening Ola- uh, recruiting Olave because that dude's <laughs> ridiculous and apparently he was, was a dumb fan that's a fire um, mistake but uh <laughs> Yeah, no joke, man. And and Mark oh, Elfrich, yeah. I mean, that well, was partially why he got fired. Yeah. <laughs> that and losing to Oregon State, apparently that's enough. And um, uh, But just to see how they do against this level of talent, because it's like, where would we where would we see this class of receiver otherwise? You know, so I'm just personally excited to see what they have on tape. Um, just for the few times where maybe they make a good move, maybe they, I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah. And I, I put in my questions, like I, I personally have never felt strongly about Anthony Brown as your guys starting quarterback. I think he's a good game yeah. manager. I think he, he showed it. He mm-hmm. showed a little bit of being able to spread the field, passing the ball, especially in the second half when they had to open it up a little bit more. But I guess with his, um, I guess his obvious ceiling, like you said, uh, yeah. does that feel like, you guys have a cap on what your offense is going to be able to accomplish and take advantage of because you guys have some good running backs. I believe Travis Dye and Verdell are both very good players. But mm-hmm. overall, like uh, Travis Hunter is going to have to be able to stretch the field. Uh, you guys don't win this game without him stretching the field, passing the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Anthony Brown is – yeah, he'll, he'll have to do that. There, there's no amount of – you know, because like Ohio State is is smart enough and good enough on defense where they can take something away from you. And Mario Cristobal isn't going to be able to because CJ Verdell and Travis Dye, I think they are good running backs. They're not elite running backs, you know, and they both have their own thing that they do. Travis Dye is like the little burner, the little shiftier one, and CJ Verdell goes straight up the middle and tries to get four yards or something, you know. And they're both pretty good at that. But I feel like that can be taken away. And so, like you say, the question is, can Anthony Brown actually give us something, you know, uh, deep down the field to open it up? I think he'll be able to. I think they're going to be sometimes when he manages to do that. But I think Ohio State's explosive play rate will be higher than even him just hitting deep down the field rate. And I think that will probably be lethal for Oregon. But if the Ducks were able to keep it up, um, uh, I mean, uh, offensively, I guess it would have to be because they had success in the run game. Because, like, Cristobal will return to – like, he that is what he wants to establish. You know, one of those kind of old-school coaches, which is driving uh, some Duck fans kind of up the wall, especially what we were used to and on offense, you know. Um, but uh, I, I think he has to have success on the ground. Otherwise, I, I just don't. He doesn't seem to show the creativity as of yet to be able to. Yeah, have I was. A game I was very surprised that you didn't start the freshman. Uh, I think his name's Ty Thompson. Um, 
a, a reference that OSU mm. fans Ty will Thompson. understand and probably hate me for because they think we hate him. Uh, that just seems like an Urban Meyer decision. Um, you go with the older guy, like risk adverse, like you see the talent, but it's, you know, uh-huh. putting too much faith in, in old where I look at it kind of like you have a bunch of tape, like, you know what his ceiling is, throw the young guy out there and see what happens. I mean, he's very, very talented quarterback from everything. And obviously we don't see the practices. We don't know what happened. Maybe he just got soundly beat out. But I think if it, if it's close, I, I was surprised that uh, the, the young guy didn't get in. So I think for most people, right, um, especially because both teams didn't have a great showing, I think most people expect this game to be at or around the spread. Um, maybe Oregon covers, maybe Ohio State wins by like 17, but no one's expecting a blowout. Um, so I have a, a, two part, a two-part question. If Oregon wins, whether it's by one point or 30, what happened? How did they win the game? And since we're expecting probably around the cover either way, if they get blown out, if Ohio State wins by three scores or more, what were the weaknesses uh, or what came up in that game that allowed Ohio State to kind of dominate? Well, I'll start with the the one from my perspective that's more depressing, which is we just get blown out, which I do think is a possibility. Um, I think that what happens there is that the Oregon defense probably still has a decent enough showing, but by the end of the game, the stats would make you think, oh, no, 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 like Ohio State's offense just took control. But um, I think Oregon's offense will probably get stalled enough, like uh, three and outs or just like, you know, one first down and then out enough that it just becomes too many plays that the duck defense is needing to defend. It only takes, you know, like a couple explosive plays until suddenly there's a two score lead. And a lot of people, including myself, uh, I mean, I've never really seen Cristobal really come back. I mean, I guess except for this last week, but come back from a big deficit or do something real drastic when the time comes. Uh, That's one of the reasons why I don't think we're seeing Ty Thompson this year unless things go real sour or Anthony Brown gets injured. It's because she shows like, no, I've got my guy. And even like if the other dude, even if it's garbage time, I'm not putting in the backup quarterback. I want this guy to get as many snaps as possible. Um, so I, I think it should just be the explosive plays from Ohio State just buries the Ducks, even even if it's kind of close at halftime because Oregon's able to, I don't know, uh, mitigate that a little bit. Um, if the Ducks win, I think it's going to be close. And I think it's because it's lower scoring than a lot of people thought it was going to be. I think uh, Anthony Brown is confident enough He's getting he's doing enough to to get the defense some actual rest. He's he's hitting it. If there's an open man, the the idea is, you know, when you got a six time someone who literally started man. playing in like 2016 his freshman year. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> like like same year Herbert came in. He came in um, like uh, when you got someone there. The idea is that he's going to be a veteran presence. The idea is that if you see someone streaking down the field, like in a busted coverage, he's going to find that man. And I do, you know, I do have confidence in his arm at times. Like I do think he can hit the big passes, just not consistently. So sometimes that equates to not hitting them at all. Kind of, but, um, 
I think it'd be a very close match. It'd be very physical. Oregon would get lucky. Not only that, but the thing we're really hoping for, Tim DeRuiter, he's really made his career... Every defensive coordinator says this, but he's really made his career off. I, I'm the dude who comes in and makes it so your defense quickly uh, creates turnovers. Now, I know creating turnovers, that's a big discussion of like, can you can you force a turnover? You know, like, is it completely random or something? But he does have a good track record of actually forcing turnovers. That last game, we forced three turnovers that made it so we were able to come back. They were crucial. I think it'd be Oregon winning the turnover battle, um, maybe by a good amount. Is what I think it would take, like four to one or something like that. And just holding on for a close, close game. And I guess some aspect of, of Ohio State would have to be a little overrated for us to win even, I think. Because on paper, uh, Buckeyes got this pretty well, you know. Uh, so I, that's what I think a win would look like. Uh, that's interesting. I mean, you guys, I mean, two of your touchdowns came from starting inside your own 40 last game. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah. if you guys could get that MV advantageous field position and then also – earn a lot of time of possession and keep the ball to Ohio State's I mean, fans. I think that's a it's a different team, different mm-hmm. offense, but I think just do what Minnesota did. Like, I keep referencing this game because I honestly, I'm really high on Minnesota, so I think while it's two totally different teams, I think, you know, there's similar levels and there's some similarities as in, like, having a really dominant group, like Minnesota's really dominant group is their offensive line and the running back, and, like, and they that really dominant group, and then they have a star, mm-hmm. um, and yours just happens to be on the defense. You have a really dominant group with that D-line, and you have, a, you have multiple stars. Minnesota maybe only has one star, but I think, you know, like, Chris is saying, I think that's a game you like. You mentioned winning the turnovers, um, getting ad- advantage field position. But I think the one thing that happens with overmatched teams, and I don't think Oregon's overmatched, but they don't capitalize. Like when you look at why you, you were able to win that game or why Tulane mm-hmm. wasn't able to beat Oklahoma, um, it's hard to stop everything. And like I remember watching the Tulane game, they fumbled twice on back to back things. And it's like, you're so close, but you can't have your own mistakes. And so I think you're right on the head. Oregon essentially has to pay, play perfect, win the turnover battle. But then the biggest thing with that is capitalize. When yeah. you get that ball and you look at the time of possession, I think Minnesota had the ball like 48 minutes or something like that. I think if Oregon has the ball for 48 minutes, that might be a win. Um, like if you... Oh, and I will say it's possible their offensive line, Oregon's offensive line from week one to week two, it's possible there's a big step up there. And then, you know, uh, it could very likely be a closer game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So this is my last question. You know, there weren't any fans in the stands in either of our conferences last year. Uh, This is a true road game in all forms it could be. This is crazy. You're going to have 105,000. Maybe if we sell (laughs) 10,000 tickets, it's looking a little rough. But. Uh, this is a huge hostile environment. I, I've, I'm, I'm a former student. I've been in the stadium. I know how loud it can get. I remember Saquon Barkley not even be able to take a handoff because he couldn't hear. Like this mm-hmm. is what Oregon is looking forward to, and this is the first one in almost two years that they mm-hmm. filled up the shoe. So, how much do you think that's going to have an impact? I think it's going to have a huge impact. I think I really do. I mean, again, you would hope like Anthony Brown, you've played some big games in your career. 
Like, it's so long. You've played some big competitions in some hostile environments, has even been competitive at times. Um, so I ho- I would hope he wouldn't get as rattled. But in a week where you had a tough, you know, a tough game for your offensive line, that's certainly very scary. Um, just the emotion of it. Uh, I, I can't even imagine truly what it would be like to play for in front of 90 plus thousand people screaming their heads off like crazy. Um, uh, you know, I would imagine the uh, the travel of ducks was is smaller than it would have been if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, you know, so the, a little smaller section, I would imagine. Uh, I hope they still represent. But I mean, even in Oregon, we had a, you know, very few people this last week. A very small amount of people watching this game. Um, they affected Fresno State like a couple of times on fourth down or on third down and such. When it was close, like they got in their head. So it is a real thing. <laughs> I mean, I think it is definitely going to affect us. Uh, uh, it seems no way that it can't, especially when it's something you can't prepare for because you haven't played in front of that many people in years, you know? Uh yeah, it'll get in our heads, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm just excited about the electric atmospheres being back. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be a great game. Yeah, I, I Jordan, you got anything else you want to ask Adam? Taking you over the 20 or 30 minutes you said you could give us. Um, and, and this is a question I love to ask. I think oh, it's no, important. no, no, it's um, What do Oregon fans need to see, win or lose, that gives them confidence? You can't predict the win, you can't predict the loss, but if. X happens in this game. You leave this game feeling confident. You may be content, happy um, about the rest of the season. Well, um, I think any kind of offense that looks, it's a tough ask, but an offense that looked more comfortable than they did against Fresno State. And that is a huge ask, but but by that I just mean not getting, not letting open people just straight to your quarterback. You know, uh, picking up all your blocks. I really, I think it's because we're all built around the offensive line. I would just love a good showing from the O line against a, a great Ohio State team. I would like. Um, I guess the the opportunities when you're open and Brown gets that ball to you and it's a big moment not to blow that moment. Like when you are absolutely in the open field and like this is your these this is one of those opportunities that you would need to take advantage of in any big game. I would like for that to to, to you know near perfect completion rate there. Um, I would like to see an actual push from our running backs because that's that's our identity is our running game. And then, um, I mean, damn, I would love to see Kayvon Thibodeau on the field. I, I just got to pepper that. It, it seems like he will be. Uh, I it's it, They say day-to-day, but who knows how much coach <laughs> talk that is. I mean, y'all got Ryan Day. I know he also keeps it's it pretty close to his chest. Ryan Day, why you wouldn't you, you know? Out of him. It's um, like he took a blood oath. <laughs> 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 yeah, and you know, there's money on the line. I get it. I hope Kayvon Thibodeau is. I would like to see him out there just because it would make me feel good. And like, even if we can't beat Ohio State, if we have a fully formed Kayvon Thibodeau, I, we can make a good run at the Pac-12. And who knows? Maybe we could see Ohio State again down the line. Yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously the goal for both teams is to make it to mm-hmm. the college football playoff. And this is like a huge step. And I don't think... Either nope. team season's over with a loss here. 
So yeah. I think it's all positives. You know, Ohio State being at home, it might be a little bit more tough to come back from being at a home game and being the favorite. But I, I guess I, I, we appreciate you coming on, Adam. Anything you want to say, score prediction, something you want to go out on with Ohio State fans, one last message for them. Uh, oh, man, let's see. Um, so I, I know the odds are stacked against us. I know we've lost zero to nine, but all this hate in my heart, watching Masoli lose to the Buckeyes when Chip was there, wa- watching the the great Marcus Mariota not able to, to pull it off in that big setting, uh, more than anything, more than life itself, I would <laughs> love for the Duckeyes, uh, the Duckeyes, oh dear Lord, the Ducks to go beat the Buckeyes. In at Ohio State, I don't think it's going to happen. I think we're going to lose by 21 points. I'll put it up at like, I don't know, what's that score? Uh, let's, let's do 42 to 21. I think that it's going to be about there. Um, unfortunately, uh, that being said, <laughs> man, I will be so obnoxious if we win this game because it's been, it's just been, it's truly, I think, the. I, I don't know. I, I appreciate Ohio State in a way. In a way, I'm always rooting against them. Like, always rooting. Just because you're, you're just so good. Any kind of loss kind of makes me feel a little bit better. But it truly is that, that, that like, y'all are the people. You're the, you're the top dog, and it would just feel amazing to one time before I die to watch the Ducks beat the Buckeyes. And, and man, I hope that happens. And I know there's a lot of people listening to as yellow you were that talking, exactly It that just brought way. back feelings yeah. of how we feel about Clemson. And I think, a, I think a part of that is like we played Clemson more than we played <laughs> Alabama. You play us more than you play Clemson or Alabama. I get that. Um, I know I said I didn't have another question, but you're, yeah. what you just said brought like just a quick one. Would you? What oh. would you rather have? You beat Ohio State. And lose the Pac-12, or you lose to Ohio State. I just need to know how much you hate us. Oh. Right, do you want the loss and win the Pac-12, or do you want the oh. win and maybe you don't get the Pac-12 this year? Maybe you get to the title game, but you lose in the title game. Which one do you want more? How bad do you hate the Buckeyes? Oh, 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 man. Well, you know what? If we beat the Buckeyes. That's got to be a good seat. That means we had to be a lot of other teams and I will give up a Pac-12 championship for this unlikely of things to beat the Ohio State Buckeyes. So I would do that. I would I would th- even throw oh, wow. in I throw in a loss <laughs> to the Beavers too. You could be like oh you lose to the Beavers. Your yeah. this. <laughs> like that's how much I hate this this team. I hate it as in like yep. it's 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 more like that res- that respect hate. Where you're just like, I mean, this is the way you should run a program. They're doing everything great. Yeah, he's you know, but like, win against us. He's not, a him, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's one and nine and not give over him 10. the Jimbo Fisher extension 10 <laughs> years, 9 million right now. <laughs> <laughs> it'll it'll happen. Oh my Phil Knight will absolutely <laughs> will fly to the middle of Autzen Stadium to do that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I, we appreciate you coming on, Adam. Uh make sure you guys follow our brethren at Addicted to Quack. And make sure you follow Adam anywhere we can find you, Adam. 
Oh yeah, sure. Um, so at Quack Twelve Podcast, uh, that's my Twitter, which uh, my man Jordan here was on, and we had a fun little discussion. Uh, that should be up uh, right when this is up, probably about later tomorrow or something. I don't know. Check it out. It's on there. Uh, Addicted to Quack is the site I work for. Uh, we have a lot of fun there, a lot of <laughs> non-sports discussions, but it's still a good time. And uh, that's about it. You can find me on my couch watching this game, um, chewing my fingernails down to the bottom. Yep, at nine in the morning. <laughs> nine in the morning, yeah. <laughs> Full of coffee and hate. I'm ready for it. <laughs> All righty. Well, yeah, once again, it was awesome having you, Adam. Uh, me and Jordan, very thankful you took your time out of your day to do this for us. And yeah. we hope okay. you guys will, but not this Saturday. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right, well, man, go Duckeyes. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Have a good one, y'all. Have a good one. Welcome back in, everybody. Uh, this is Christopher Rennie, Rennie bringing you back on to Buck Off after our great interview with Adam from Addicted to Quack and the Quack 12 podcast. Uh, Jordan, uh, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. It's always great when we get to do these sort of crossover events with the SB Nation partners. Our first one, uh, your second one, uh, both releasing around the same time. So, uh, Overall, what were your takeaways from a lot of the stuff Adam said on the show? Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is that uh, Adam really hates Ohio State. I really feel like, you know, <laughs> I really feel like we're their Clemson. And I, I really understood a lot of what he was saying when he was saying that. Um, the other thing I think, you know, Adam seemed to be pretty you know, realistic with his expectations of his team. I think I liked a lot of what he said about how he kind of expects this to be a loss, um, but he has some things that he's looking forward to seeing and some areas that he hopes that they can take advantage of, just like everyone. I think they're hoping to take advantage of our DBs, and everyone's going to feel that way um, until they prove that they can't be taken advantage of. Um you touched on it before the interview and he touched on it in the interview, the quarterback run with Anthony Brown and anyone that knows Ohio state knows that quarterback run has been our Achilles heels. I mean, regardless of the, regardless of the targeting and the fumble that should have been a touchdown, the quarterback run is what lost us Clemson two years ago uh, because they started running Trevor Lawrence and we couldn't stop it. Um, So that kind of stuck out. And then just um, really, I think just talking to someone and just hearing the expectations of their fan base, which doesn't, you know, necessarily affect the game. But I really hope that, you know, everyone listening to this got some good stuff out of that and really enjoyed listening to that. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun chatting with him. I I think I agree with like your favorite part. I really love just kind of getting his perspective on the fan base's expectations, what they see coming into the game, how they feel about different position groups, because, you know, me and Jordan could give you the, I guess, not the Ohio State goggles, but I guess more so the Big Ten, the Midwest goggles on how we feel about right. Oregon. But legitimately hearing how a guy who covers them, who follows them, who researches them as much as we research Ohio State, like it was nice to kind of get that perspective because right now we're just looking at names that don't really mean anything to us but an opponent in front of the team we're talking about. So it was nice kind of seeing, hey, like – our quarterback, he could be good. He has moments. He flashes. Like, we expect a lot out of him because he's a fifth-year senior. Like, that's the type of stuff that I was really excited to hear about because, like, we look at Anthony Brown and we're like, oh, this dude sucks. Which is 
But I, I, I was like, I was happy to hear like they have reasonable expectations about them. I, I, they're running backs. They know who they are. They're receivers. They're not sure what the group is. You know, uh, it just seems like uh, some of our scouting was correct. Uh, I think some of the stuff I'm going to look for with Oregon, I'm excited to see because of the different perspectives. Yeah, I think one of the takeaways, the thing that I was most surprised about, and I. I was a little less surprised just because of when we did the interview, I started to hear some rumblings. I didn't realize that they had a decent um, secondary and at least a guy in the secondary. Um, and, and maybe you can pull his name. Cause I think you have a roster or something, but they have a guy who's expected to be an NFL corner. And I didn't know that. And Adam talked about him a little bit. Um, and just his excitement of seeing him go against the best wide receivers in football um, and I don't think there's any corner, even Derek Stingley Jr., who could stop Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, especially for an entire game. But that's an element I wasn't expecting. Um, yeah, I think his name was Mikhail Wright. Uh, that's one of them. That's uh, not the, the NFL yeah, guy. Yeah, then they have uh, DJ James was another name he talked about. Uh, yeah, but they, I, I, the, the position group as a whole is something they're very excited about for yeah. the season. And that that's really sort of what uh, Verone McKinley was a name. Uh, you know, they're just a good group of defensive backs. Like no one, uh, they said like there's not a guy who you hear his name about a lot getting national media attention, but they have like two or three guys who are just really good defensive backs. Yeah, no. Um, and I think that is that was the m- more interesting thing for me. Um, but it, it was just great to kind of hear all of it. And it made me even more excited for the game. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I guess that takes us into our team, uh, Ohio State, the team we're supposed to be covering. I know we've been giving Minnesota a lot of love on this show. I know we just gave Oregon like 40 minutes there. But Oh, Ohio State's coming to this game. There's some really big storylines we need to get into. Uh, I think the main ones are regarding the defense and the rotations, which we kind of already touched on before. But uh, I think the first one I want to get into, though, is our offensive line versus their defensive front. Because, yes, we have experience. We have Nicholas Petit-Friere, but this is the first time he's playing left tackle against a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, We've got Thayer Munford. This is going to be the first time he's playing guard in a matchup like this. Uh, We don't know who our center is going to be this week. So uh, is it Luke Whipler? Is it Harry Miller? Uh, That's a good question because we don't know. We won't know until the game starts, honestly. Um, The right guard, you know, Paris Johnson Jr. is young. First big game environment for him. Uh, You know, uh, and then all the communication to Juan Jones, he's going to have to match up one-on-one with Kayvon Thibodeau. That's real. Uh, so I guess that's the matchup I'm most interested in. I think that's a matchup that's going to make this game either close or a blowout. Yeah, um, I think that's a good matchup to follow. I just think talent-wise, our offensive line is a mismatch for anyone. The one that I'm most excited to follow is um, our DBs against their wide receivers because the thing with that is, sure, maybe they don't have names, um, but listening to him and just hearing people in general, they have talent. Um, But also, it... I mean, Minnesota didn't have names, and Dylan, now I know Dylan Wright's name, and I will know it until he graduates, and I'll be following him. So um, when you have a, a supposed weakness, you don't need, you know, a um, 
you don't need a, a Terrence Ross or um, a I'm blanking on all the good wide receivers in the Big Ten, but you don't need a name to be concerned. So I'm my yeah. biggest storyline is is who plays that corner for one. Um, do we get one of or both seven Banks and Cameron Brown back? And then most importantly, how do they play? Yeah, and I think uh, the test for the DBs is something because, like you said, there's not big names, but that doesn't mean there's not guys who can make plays. Uh, Johnny Johnson Jr. is a guy who was brought up in the interview. He scored like a 45-yard touchdown pass. He's got some jets to him. I think that provides a little bit of a dynamic challenge on the outside. So I think whether it's the freshman corners getting more run as the starters, whether it's the veteran guys getting their first action of the season – uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. I think that's a position group that we're all a little skeptical of, if not worried about. I know we've got some skies falling people in the fan base that are really worried about the defensive backs, really worried about the linebackers. This game should ease a lot of those thoughts if they play as good as they are capable of playing. I agree 100%. Uh, and then, yeah, I guess moving forward with the big storylines for these guys is cave on Thibodeau's injury. And I, I don't want to sound like a Homer. I know we try to avoid Homer talk, but if cave on Thibodeau is not healthy, I don't see any way Oregon hangs with Ohio state scoring, let alone uh, because that was the only way they were going to stop him is an elite pass rush. That was the only way they were going to slow down Ohio state. And I just don't see that happening without Kayvon Thibodeau if he's unavailable at game time. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's like going into a game without Chase Young. But but it's like going into it, a game without Chase Young that's not Rutgers or Maryland because we obviously saw them. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, even it's like going into the college football playoffs and without Chase Young. We didn't have to deal with that and we were able to play with him. Um, but you have to have him in these big games. And if he's not there, it changes everything. Because first of all, we don't know how they're going to play Chase Young. Uh, we don't know how they're going to play Kayvon Thibodeau. And if he's going to get that um, Bosa, Chase Young, um, Aiden Hutchinson, if the, he's going to get that um, game plan, meaning there's two people on him at all time, there's a tight end in to chip him, things like that. Um if he's not there, you don't have to worry about that. You're going to play everyone else straight up. Like you change your game plan for hundred percent players like him. And if he's not there and Ryan day said, they're preparing for the game. If he's there, because like you said, it's a lot easier to be change your game plan up. If he's not there than it is yeah. to like, be like, Oh shit, we've got cave on Thibodeau in front of us. And speaking of that, we're both like really big into like, you know, how like we're really big into Axel the ins and outs of football. Let's just talk about some really quickly. Well, how do you change your game plan? Well, against Kayvon Thibodeau, they're most likely going to have to play two tight ends. And with maybe what's, yeah. is his name Mitch Rossi? Uh, the yeah. backup tight end. Kate Stover, uh, the, the number two the blocking right now. tight end, the walk on. Oh yeah, the fullback yeah, type that, guy who comes Mitch in. Rossi? Yeah, I think it's Mitch Rossi. He he's played a little bit. Gonna, yeah. Like if if Kayvon Thibodeau's in, he just to add extra. Yeah, he's probably protection. there, and he's probably attached to the line, which you talked about. 11, 12, all his personnel will probably be in twelve personnel a lot, and that just takes a, that takes a playmaker off the field because his entire job is going to be 
to help block extra yeah, because protection. I highly doubt they're going to want to give uh, a center. Uh, I highly doubt they're going to want to give a guard and a tackle to Kayvon, at least in the beginning. So yeah. you lose a wide receiver. That takes Jackson Smith and Jake off the field. That lower snap for Julian Fleming. Um, that lower snap for Marvin Harrison Jr. Because you have Kate Stover, Mitch Rossi on the field. Or depending on the situation, if you can't stop him in the run game, now you have to put in an extra offensive lineman. Um, now you're doing heavy sets and things like that. And that lowers your um, explosiveness because you're not getting all your wide receivers out. And that's us giving like our foolish respect to cave on Thibodeau. And we don't even know if Ryan day even believes they have to do that. Cause like we said, we have Nicholas Petit Freer, We have Dewan Jones. We have guys who are, Supposed all world talent on the offensive line. So it's a prove it time. Like you're going to have the matchup. You're going to play an all American. You're going to play a top five pick. You want to be drafted in the first round, Nicholas Petit Friere? You want to be drafted in the first round of Juan Jones? This is your chance to prove that you're an all American first round talent. Yeah. And I think that's kind of Ryan Day. That's how he's always kind of done it. He said, Our players are better than you. Like I don't care what your name is. And it's worked a lot of the time. And we're going to see if it's going to work this time. Yeah, and I'm excited about that. That's like, oh, man, it's I, I'm like the college football fan in me is would be very disappointed if Kayvon Thibodeau didn't play. Uh, the Ohio State fan in me that lives and breathes W's uh, is hoping that he is unavailable before the game because it just makes the life easier. No, I, I agree. Um, I'm torn. I'm torn because it, it feels like I want to beat the yeah. best, but I also <laughs> want the least stressful noon game I can that, have. I want to blow out. You as took well. the words right out of my mouth. I don't know how to feel. It almost feels like a cop out to be like, yeah, I don't want Kayvon there. But it's like it also feels like kind of stupid to want the best player in college football. Best on defensive. The <laughs> yeah. We want a guy who could go and kill our quarterback on the yeah. field. Yeah. Wanted, like when you put it that way. We want a guy who played a half and had two sacks and a forced fumble. <laughs> yeah. And it's like when you put it in the logical sense, you're like, yeah, no, keep that guy off the field. Let's rest you up, Kayvon. We need a Pac-12 title out of Oregon this year. So you guys you guys do your thing. You guys get ready. You guys are still a playoff yeah. team. Don't know how much you thought you were going to win this game. Uh, let's keep Kayvon resting let's get him in some like hot yoga before the game let's get him into some like physical therapy before yeah. the game let's get that ankle loose so you guys can hit the pack right you know a little walking boot as a precautionary measure you know <laughs> yeah just make sure he can't roll it in any way you know i don't even want to see him warming up because i just don't want him to stress out his ankle exactly. too much see, we're thinking about the future <laughs> we're thinking about we're, we're taking care of now we want him to be drafted first or second overall. We want him <laughs> yeah, healthy. You got to you got to protect that paycheck. And that's all we're saying. Protect the paycheck. You know, it's it's good for everyone involved. Uh, except as a college football fan, I want to see the best. Yeah, one hundred percent. So yeah, I guess that's it uh, for that. I, I know uh, this one's huge. I, I think this is the question on everybody's mind. This is a question going into the game that we're all just sitting here. And you know where I stand on it, so I'm not even going to take much time to answer this. I am fully on board with improvement. Do you think the defense will improve this week? I think the defense will improve this week because I am not sure that 
their offense is better than Minnesota's offense. I think it is another week of experience for a lot of players, uh, a lot of young players. But most importantly, and I hope that this is true, most importantly, they're going to cut the rotation. Um, it literally like one one thing changed my mind on this entire defense. When I realized that Brian Shaw was the safety and on the on uh, the 56 yard touchdown on fourth and one. Like yeah. the one that missed. It. And it's like, first of all, why the hell was Josh Proctor injured at that point? No, I think we were going with a uh, bigger personnel. Yeah. So, so I think you're both in the game. that kind of scares me. But like, uh, yeah, that like it's just kind of that play was made on Lathan Ransom getting his first week minutes, missing a tackle in the hole as, as a semi linebacker and Brian Shaw missing a tackle. And Taking a terrible yeah, angle too. God, it was such a bad. It, it gave me flashbacks to the Trevor Lawrence run his angle. Yeah. It was that bad. So it's like the two things that I already said, and hopefully the defensive rotation shrinks, and we literally only have um, the like the best best players out there who are ready for the game. Well, yeah, that's like what we were saying earlier in the show is we should see less rotation because. Oregon doesn't do anything crazy. They stick with the same personnel groupings. They don't do that all the time. So if we are rotating a ton of groups, I'm going to be concerned that we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, I will be the first one to call for uh, Kerry Coombs to be fired. Yeah. And I don't want to take money out of somebody's pocket, but if he, if he can't get it done, he can't get it done. Maybe not even fired, demoted, but and I'm not even saying go uh, internally and, and promote someone. It's outside higher next time, for sure. Outside of you, the family. Uh, no, I don't want to hear no Al Washington co-defensive coordinator. I don't want to hear none of that. Bring somebody outside. It's Marcus Freeman no. or bust. And Marcus Freeman will teach the defense Ryan Day no. once. He I'm, will. I, I'm not money. with Marcus Freeman either. Go get the next Jeff Halfley. Go get a, a – a, Find a young guy. No, I'm with you now. You N- got me. Get him out the NFL. <laughs> get him. You already someone sold that knows how to teach. Get him in here and get everyone in check. Um, I think Ohio State with the Marcus Freeman, our Washington thing. I worry that they're starting to fall into the Michigan man thing. Sometimes the best people are out there are not Ohio State assistants. Yeah. Get somebody else. Find yeah, no, but I'm with you. You sold me on that. All right. But, yeah, last thing, uh, we're talking about rotations. There's three positions that rotated mostly throughout the game. You know, uh, the DBs rotated a little bit, but not near as much as the linebackers, the running backs, and the D-line. The D-line's going to stay the same. That's how D-lines play. But the running back and linebacker rotation, this was a huge conversation throughout the week. We want to see it thinner. Who gets cut out? What linebackers do you feel confident in uh, in that rotation? And we already talked about the running backs. We know it's got to be Mayan. We know it's got to be Trey. The linebackers is the one we haven't hit on. So what's the group to you? Because uh, to me, it's Mitchell and Simon and then Ronnie Hickman as the third guy. So for – Oh, not Simon. Yeah, no, Simon. So Sorry, Simon. for yeah. me, it's um, it's Mitchell, Simon, um. I'm not including Ronnie Hickman because he's the bullet. And I also, I think he's going to, if it proctors out, he's going to play a little bit more of that safety. The the They're third pretty, guy yeah. for me is Tommy Eckenberg. And I wasn't expecting to say that, but this is why I'll say it. It's his first game. He did play pretty well. He missed some tackles as some jitters, whatever, but I don't care about coach talk. I really don't. What the players have said about Tommy Eichenberg 
have me confident. And the fact that they were confident putting him out there in the very first series is giving me like if we're going to give some credit and we're going to give some grace to the young corners and it being their first game. I think Tommy Eichenberg deserves that as well. So I have those three. I want to see. But Eichenberg should not be the number one. He's the third guy, in my opinion. But I think there's something there that we just haven't seen and we have to give him that. So I have Simon, um, Toronto Mitchell and, and Tommy Eichenberg. And outside of that, like I really don't want to see anybody else. Like I know Kayvon Pope's going to get in there a little bit. Dallas Gant's going to get in there a little bit. But I need play. those three to get seventy five percent of the snaps. Yeah, and I, I think I think you're I think we're going to be seeing less rotating. Uh, I don't think we're going to see less Dallas Gant though. Uh, I know that's probably going to get a big sigh from the audience there, uh, but. I mean, he did make some plays, too. I, I think the linebacker group had some really good moments. I, I don't think they had just this awful, pitiful game. Uh, it's just about, like Kerry Kuhn said in his press conference, there's some mistakes that need to be fixed. We're going to fix them. And once we see those mistakes fixed, I'm back on the train. I I mean, yeah. You got to be. I, I think I, I will say – Cody Simon's explosiveness on the sack he had, uh, Taraja Mitchell's physicality, uh, even Tommy Eichenberg, uh, he he was uh, – I know I hate doing this, but he looked way more athletic than I thought he would. Honestly. Did. And that might be more of an age thing uh, because he was a freshman – or a redshirt freshman, I believe, and he was flying yeah. around. He was quick. He was not uh, – God, and I hate doing this. He was not tough for <laughs> <laughs> Like – you know, white middle linebacker. Like I, I know what I'm doing here. Like he wasn't tough. Yeah. Borland. He was a different type of player. And it, it's like the Pete Werner tough Borland argument. Like they're not the same player. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. And one thing that I'm willing to say, and we'll see how it's utilized. But I, I feel like I have to. Um, I feel like I have to bring this up because I mentioned it. Remember we talked about how we didn't have any um, linebackers who could make a play three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like we haven't seen that explosiveness. Yeah. Simon has it. Simon has it. Oh, um, And I, re- I just hope that they don't Malik Harrison, Cody Simon, and, and just put him in places where he doesn't really get to show his athleticism. I honestly um, think Eichenberg has it a little bit. If he could start making the yeah, tackles. But like, like, I, yeah, Cody Simon Simon's is different, just different. And like, I mean, I need to see at least one or two blitzes for him a game. And I need to, I can't yeah. wait until it really clicks for him mentally to where we're, just, we're seeing that where it's not just blitzes, where we see him just take, like he's, he knows what's coming and he just blows it up. It's instinctual. And he may already yeah. have it because again, Minnesota has a top three offensive line. So against that, maybe he gets back there a little bit more, but I need to see. I think those three, I think we're in good hands with those three. Um, so Yeah. And honestly, I I think, you know, the storylines are a little different this week because we know a lot more about this team. So like I said last week, we're going to have a lot more storylines heading into the Minnesota game than we are next week because now we know what we have to work on. Now we know what we need to see from Ohio State moving forward to get to that level. I'm not worried about Stroud. I think he's going to have an unbelievable performance. Everything, all indications point to decent weather Saturday. Uh I'm not worried about the running backs. I think they'll figure it out. I'm definitely not worried about the offensive line or wide receivers. Uh, This team's got room to grow. I think most of the issues last week were defensive. Uh, Outside of C.J. Stroud's slow start, his last four completions were long touchdown passes. So it's it's really just a matter of 
playing the best football the defense can play. Yeah. And and here's the thing that I will say uh, for all the doom and gloom. Ohio State is young. They're very young. So and young. It, it's okay if we take some lumps this year. What's not okay is us being bad last year because we weren't young last yeah. year. We were old. I mean, Sean Wade looked like he had never played before. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there. I, I think we have to allow some room for a little bit of bumps this year because and next year is really going to be the year when all these guys are You know how older. many players are returning? We won't have Thayer Munford. We probably won't have Nicholas Petit for a year. But overall, next year, and I hate doing this on a podcast in week two, this team's going to be scary this year, let alone returning like 90% of our production for next year. So Ohio State fans, get off the doom and gloom. Please. This is the time for Ryan Day. This and is it. accept some young mistakes because you learn them. You learn from them now. It is uh, it, it is different when Denzel Burke allows yeah. a big play than when fourth year senior Sean Wade allows a big play. Sean Wade, like it, yeah. it, it just is what it is, and and so it's not going to be perfect. But give them some room to grow. Yeah, I mean, Lejon Cavazos was playing his first meaningful snaps, and people are ready to give That's up. That's ridiculous. On him. And then he came back and made two huge plays. And I'm like, see, guys, see, he's got that fight in him. He's a he's a good football player like that. It's going to take time. Like Jeff Akuda wasn't a first round pick immediately. No. Denzel Ward wasn't a first round pick immediately. These guys grinded. They got better. They improved. They played early, but they weren't the guys, you know, uh, that's going to be the case this year. They're going to play. They're going to get better. And then when it's their time to be the guy, that's when they elevate. hundred percent. And that's that's kind of the last thing I have today. I think going into the Oregon game, final thoughts. We've gotten a lot of talk in. You know, uh, pretty long show for you guys. So you got Friday to listen to it, Saturday to listen to it, and then you got us on the instant recap. My score prediction: I think Ohio State wins this game, forty-five to twenty-one. Wow, <laughs> we're on the same page. I was going to say forty-five to twenty, only just because I don't think Oregon gets three touchdowns. I think they get a three couple touchdowns. field goals. But yeah, no, I mean, we do need, I just want you to know, I put score predictions at the bottom. I don't have us write them down in our show plan because I don't want to know his before we get on here. We said the exact yeah, same thing. I have 45 to 20. Um, I think it's going to be that kind of game. I do. I think it'll be close through the first quarter, and then Ryan Day is going to know exactly what he's got to do, and then he's just going to blow the brakes off the doors, and it's over. Yep. The one thing I will say to the Oregon fans that are listening to this um, – I, y'all just better hope that there's not a big play in the first quarter. If CJ Stroud comes yeah. out connecting in that first or second drive, it, just buckle up. It's going to be a long, long day. But I'm not, I'm not uh, expecting that because it's his second game and Oregon's really good. But if that happens, you yeah. you heard it here first. Buckle up. It's going to be a long day. But yeah, uh, that's it for me, uh, uh, Jordan. Where can we find you? Uh, content. Social media, give it to the audience uh, yep. here. So you can find me on, um, obviously, on Buck Off. You can find me on the Instant Recap. You can find me on the I-70 Football Show. We've already dropped our episode by the time this comes out. Um, on Sunday, I will be dropping a big thoughts uh, column where I'll talk about all of the Big Ten. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at JordanW330. Please follow me. But most importantly, hit up me and Chris and let us know how you like the interview, um, because if you liked it, we will definitely try to get this um, for the bigger games. Into We're not going to do this for, for Rutgers, sure. but, you know, for the big games, hey, we might. <laughs> no, for kidding. the big games, we might try to get this. So let us know how you liked it. Let us know if you could stomach the longer episode. Um, 
and hit me up. Yeah, and I will say one thing me and Jordan will never get mad about is you jumping around to your favorite parts because that's why we do a bunch of different stuff on the show. It's why we put so many thoughtful thoughts into the topics yeah. we do. Uh, so, yeah, for me, you guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFB. Uh, I'm always tweeting. I tweet my more professional stuff off that one, and then I kind of tweet my, you know, my igniter <laughs> stuff on the Buck Off page. And, you know, I like to stir the pot. Uh, Jordan likes to stir the pot. We love to get our opinions out there. So we always welcome commenters. We love interacting. It's why we do this every single week. Uh, it's why we picked up more work aside from our real <laughs> well, jobs because we just love to do this. So, yeah, give me a follow. I'm always ready to interact uh, to the point where my girlfriend gets mad about it. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, make sure you're following the show page at Bug Off Pod. Uh, it, it's always a good time on Saturdays, uh, live tweeting the game. So just be there for that. And then subscribe to the podcast feed. We've got a lot of great content week in and week out. Uh, interviews, uh, breakdowns, all that different type of stuff. A lot of different perspectives. A lot of, a lot of smart people doing what they love. So that's what it's all about in the feed. And then give us specifically a five star rating, and just make sure you tell us how much you love Chris and Jordan. And that's it for me. Uh, Ohio State takes on Oregon, first marquee matchup of the year for the Buckeyes. Uh, go Bucks! Uh, this is a great show today. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Yes, sir. Uh, Chris wouldn't say it, but make sure to check out his film review before and after the game and go Bucks. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that was a good show. I was watching the time. Yeah, like We're going to go long. And I was like, wait, we just had a 40-minute interview. They'll get over it. <laughs> like, like yeah. that is such a good interview. And if they don't. If they don't want to listen to the interview, then. But why wouldn't they? they why can, are you. They oh. can just skip it. Yeah, yeah.